you have to worry about your entire food chain and making sure that all of your vendors are as secure as you are. Hey, well, welcome to this episode of Rethinking Vendors. This is Tom Rogers, CEO of VendorCentric. Also today, we're really excited. We've got uh, one of our colleagues from Shulman Rogers, Alan Tillis, is going to be talking to us today about GDPR. Good morning, Alan. Morning. So why don't we uh, just kind of jump into it? And I thought it would be good to, to give the audience a little bit of an overview of Shulman Rogers, what you guys do, and a little bit about you and your practice there as well. Certainly. Shulman Rogers is a full-service law firm that is based in Potomac, Maryland, uh, with some additional offices. Uh, We do work nationwide in a variety of different areas. My particular specialty is telecommunications and uh, data privacy, and then we have a large real estate department. Um, We do a lot of corporate mergers, uh, a large corporate department here, as well as medical malpractice, family law, just about everything you can imagine. A little bit of everything. That's right. And um, I actually uh, was familiar with you guys because uh, I know one of your partners over there, Danny Krakauer, who I've known for a little bit now. And that's actually how we ended up getting connected to you is that he had sent out some information about uh, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. And for us, on our end around this whole topic of vendor management, GDPR is is coming up quite frequently. So I, I thought this would be a, a great time to kind of reach out. He had said, you're the, you're the guy to talk to over there. So uh, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking a little bit more about this. Um, but My pleasure. Yeah. So in the U.S., you know, the, the, the regulations really started, obviously, in Europe, but it impacts folks in the U.S. But I think a lot of people are still trying to understand what this whole thing is all about. Can you can you give folks kind of a, a GDPR 101? You know, what is it? When did it go into effect? Who does it impact? Kind of that overview? Sure. Um, before we even get there, I think what's important is for U.S.-based companies to recognize their obligation with regard to data privacy and cybersecurity just with regard to United States law. Uh, While we don't have any overarching federal law, we do have 49 different state laws that have different levels of protection for residents of those states. And since most retail companies do not limit their customers to customers in a particular state, they take credit cards from from folks that want to patronize their business from anywhere. Um, First off, we have to make sure that we're compliant with a lot of different state laws to make sure that we uh, keep our documentation, our, our data private, and that it is not breached uh, in any format. So first off, you start with U.S. law. Mm. Then, then we go from there 
to European law, the EU has adopted, oh, back in April of 2016, what's called the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. It takes data privacy to a whole new level, much more stringent than any state law in the United States. And again, using my example in the U.S., most retail companies do not limit their economic activities to just U.S. residents. So many, if not most, United States-based retail establishments need to be compliant with GDPR. And most of GDPR uh, deals with uh, data protection and is designed to make sure that an individual's information is not only protected from widespread sharing without the owner of that information's information uh, without their permission, but it also in, uh, enables that owner of the information to have the right to be forgotten upon request. So there's a whole series of regulations that comprise GDPR, um, things such as privacy notices being the most easily recognizable thing. Yeah. And again, it impacts U.S. businesses uh, because it is so broad in scope and because most folks do business in one way or another with an EU resident. And the sanctions for noncompliance of GDPR are pretty significant and, and really go far beyond what any U.S. state has ever adopted. And so that's, there's really a huge hammer uh, that can be wielded here. Got it. Got it. So that's that was one of the things I was going to ask you about, because you had mentioned, you know, look, there are state laws out there that are already already deal with data protection. But and you might hear about them a little bit, um, I guess, you know, if you're in your world, you probably hear about them a lot. But kind of in the general public, you, you it's this GDPR that's really getting all the press. Is Is that mainly because of all the penalties and sanctions that folks are getting worried about? Is that what's driving that topic more so than than companies worried about some of the state laws that they may already not be compliant with? I think that's a fantastic question because there is a very significant argument out there that what has happened to date if you as a company are breached. One could argue that the answer is very little. You notify folks that are your customers that you've been breached. You offer them a couple of years of something like LifeLock and not much else happens. Maybe yeah. the person gets a new credit card. So the penalties have not been a very far reaching uh, for a U.S. company. And if you look at some of the companies, the significant companies that have been breached, yes, they paid out money. At the end of the day, their stocks are higher today, most of them, 
than where they were at the time of the breach. Yes, they went through some PR problems, but you don't see people refusing to uh, go to that business because they were breached at some point. So because the penalties, there's a very valid argument that because the penalties have been inconsequential, there's been scant attention paid by some companies uh, to what they need to do to be secure. The, they have made, it, it can be argued, an economic evaluation mm. that the costs of compliance are greater than the cost of a breach. Right. But with GDPR, that really changes. Um, for the sanctions that can be imposed, uh, include a fine up to 10 million uh, euros or up to 2% of annual worldwide turnover of the preceding financial year, uh, whichever is greater, if there's an infringement of certain provisions of GDPR, and then a fine up to 20 million euros or 4% of that uh, annual uh, revenue from the prior year, uh, if there's an infringement of some other provisions. That's a lot. Wow. That's, that's a big, those are some big numbers right there. So, so yeah, I could definitely see how that, that would drive it. And it's funny when you were talking about, you know, regulatory compliance and what folks pay attention to or don't pay attention to, I think you hit it right on the head, which is that there's all kinds of regulations out there in, in whether, whether done, um, in a, in a thoughtful way, or maybe just as a, in a passive way, I think organizations do make the decision as to whether they're going to spend much time on worrying about regulatory compliance with a variety of things. We get that a lot around procurement um, with with a number of our clients that are in regulated industries, and there are procurement regulations, et cetera, et cetera. Some of them, you know, just make make a decision that they're really not going to focus on them until they get slapped on the wrist, and then they'll decide what they want to do at that point. But if you're going to get fined, uh, you know, at that level of money, then that's going to drive some some change. I'm curious, just as a as a side note, you know, as you're seeing this start to evolve here, do you think that what's happening in Europe with this is going to come back into the United States for um, our own? kind of oversight and data protection at a federal level, or do you think it's still going to stay at the state level? There have been efforts at a federal level to do something comprehensively, but that has not gone as far as it perhaps needs to in Congress. And there have been a lot of issues, even when both sides of the aisle were being cooperative with each other um, because the U.S. Admiral Rogers uh, being one of those uh, wanted to have the ability, they, they wanted there to be an obligation on the part of businesses that were breached to provide information to certain branches of the federal government about breaches that were the result of foreign hacking mm -hmm. in order for the government to handle such hacking at a federal level. You know, if, they, if they're gathering all the information that you know, North Korea is 
hacking this company, tried to hack that company, et cetera, et cetera, then a, a comprehensive policy can be developed and perhaps steps taken on a more national as opposed to individual basis. And there was a, some pushback from certain companies about that having to report requirement um, and a lot of other things like that. And then one would argue in, in today's Congress, there's really very few opportunities uh, to truly work together on things. So yeah. I, I, while it may be necessary, because, you know, if you're forget it for a moment about GDPR, if you're a U.S. based company and only doing work with U.S. residents, wow, 49 different laws that you got to be compliant with. And, and sure, the, the, the easiest, best thing to do is to take the most stringent state laws and be compliant with those. And therefore, you would be compliant with or should with all of the others. But that takes a company some digging or, more importantly, here comes the commercial, talking to their attorneys about figuring out what those rules are that they need to uh, pay attention to in order to be compliant. And an easy one is to just ask a company, hey, do you have a WISP? And more often than not, a company will look at you and they'll say, what's a WISP? And that's a written information security program, which is required by some states to be uh, in, in order to be compliant with their cyber laws. Yeah. Yet, while a WISP may not be that difficult to put together, it's a comprehensive set of guidelines and policies to safeguard all of your confidential and restricted data, um, and not that hard to be to put together. Um, the vast majority of folks don't have that. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's? Is it because they they made a conscious decision not to do it, or do you think it's because they just simply don't even know that they're required to have that, or some combination of both? Definitely a combination of both. Yeah. Uh, I have absolutely talked to some companies that you know, as I said, look at you and go, "What's Wisp?" And then other companies where the people that talk to you say, "Yeah." You know, we've been asking our higher-ups about that for a while, and, you know, they still haven't done it. So right. it's, it really is a combination. Right, right, sure. And I would think the smaller you are, the the more you just don't know what you don't know. And you, you can only comply with, with so much. Um, okay, so that's that's interesting. So then really, you know, these state laws have been out here, or the state regulations have been out here for a while, um, not getting as much attention. GDPR is partly potentially because of these these penalties. So as folks, as companies that that have to comply with the GDPR now are are looking to do that, what are what are some of the the big changes that that they need to be making to make sure that they are compliant? Uh, the the one you know the the meaty ones that are either more complicated for them, taking a little bit of time, or maybe the ones that that are really at the heart of what the GDPR is getting at? So that's a fantastic question. And what I find interesting is the number of U.S.-based companies that are aware of GDPR but think that they don't have to be compliant with it. But then you just ask the simple questions of, do you take credit cards? 
do you restrict who you take credit cards from? If you sell houses, do you only sell houses to U.S. residents? So, you know, when you go through that progression, there becomes uh, as simple as saying, do you have do you have a mailing list? Um, then folks realize, gee, maybe I need to do this. And so usually the starting place is uh, privacy notices that folks are, should have on their websites. Okay. Privacy notices now have to be a lot more robust in terms of providing information, but more importantly, not doing the legalese and making that disclosure a lot more plain English. Okay. And, and that's where folks have to start uh, because that is your most forward-facing um, as far as customers go, uh, a thing about your business is everybody updating their privacy notice properly on their websites. And when you update your privacy notice, a lot of times in answering and providing the information that's required in a privacy notice, you wind up realizing the things that you need to do as a company. And just going through that kind of list right. says, oh, I haven't done that previously. Maybe I need to do that. Right. So just the- uh, so starting with a, starting with that data privacy policy, privacy notice is, is a good place to start. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. That's a really good point is that the outcome obviously is the, the privacy notice. But a lot of times, as you said, going through the process of thinking through that and evaluating it, there's a lot of the, the more important point are the decisions that kind of need to be made about what it's going to be and how you're going to handle things. And, and that, cause that ends up driving what you're actually going to do about it at the end of the day. Right. Yes. And this applies also to your mailing lists. Um, you know, previously, gosh, I'm sure we've all been put on mailing lists that we didn't ask to be put on well, going forward that's going to be a violation of GDPR. Mm. We can no longer have what's called soft opt-ins. What we have to do is to have hard opt-ins so that people actually affirmatively have to do something to opt in to a mailing list. Now, if you want to separate out your mailing list with EU residents versus non just US residents, fine. But gosh, I would think that on a mailing list, that's a hard thing to do. Because if you have a Gmail account, it might be a little hard to figure out where that person lives. Right. So there's um, basically a series of about eight questions that you want to answer in a privacy notice. Um, and in doing that, and I'll just I'll read some of these off to you, and you can see how it'll generate things to think about in updating your the way you actually operate as a business. So you want to tell, in plain English, uh, your customers and potential cu- customers what information you collect from them. You're going to ask why you collect the information, who you might share that information with, what you do with that information, 
how long you keep that information, and then also how does a member of the public or, or, or somebody you hold information about, how does that person access the information that you hold about them? Now, there's going to be cases where your answer perhaps would be, we don't collect any, anything. Right. And that's fine. You just have to inform people. That you don't collect anything. You don't, yeah, you don't ignore the question because you don't collect it. You affirmatively tell people that you don't collect information. Got it. So it's, it's all, there's a lot of disclosure and transparency that, that they're looking for, it sounds like. Transparency is a fantastic uh, word for it. Transparency, but most importantly, in plain English. Yep. And as you can see, those kind of eight things I laid out for you makes you as a company think about what you are doing and, and why you're doing it and should you continue to do it. And, and that will help you generate business practices um, that will be GDPR compliant. Okay. Okay. So, so let me ask you now then, because I'm, I'm just looking, I made notes of what you were saying and kind of looking through some of these things, you know, a lot of the, the collection of information, the processing of information, the storage of information is not done by the actual organization. A lot of times they've got uh, one or more vendors that they're working with to do that. You had mentioned credit cards kind of earlier on in the conversation. I think that's a, that's a perfect example. Nobody does their own credit card processing. They hire a, a merchant processor to do that, right? And they're the ones that that are doing all of that um, in most cases. It just depends on where that credit card data is coming from. So, you know, as we've been looking at GDPR here and we're thinking about our clients and, and how they're going about dealing with this and managing their vendors and, and in figuring out what how to address that in their contracts with their vendors and what type of things they should be looking for and how that impacts them, what are you... What do you think are the important things there? Because I would imagine, Alan, that you know the the standards apply to the entity regardless of whether they're using a vendor or not. So if a vendor screws up, um, it's still going to be on that particular organization that hired them that they're going to be. Are they on the hook for these penalties? Fantastic question, and the answer is yes. You potentially are. Um, particularly in cybersecurity, but also with GDPR, you have to worry about your entire food chain and making sure that all of your vendors are as secure as you are. If you look at some of the big data breaches that have happened, they have gotten into a company system and harvested data through the HVAC system, which has been now connected to the internet so it can be remotely monitored or accessed or fixed or whatever. Right, right. Or turned on and off. Um, it, it can be done through elevator controls, which are now connected. We are evolving to a truly smart building where a ton of sensors and things in a building are connected one way or the other to the internet. Mm -hmm. And 
unlike before, uh, to the extent that these systems then have access to your company's own system, that becomes a potential uh, breach waiting to happen. And you have to make sure that those vendors, whether they be that kind of vendor or whether they be somebody that does marketing on your behalf, right. they have to make sure, you have to make sure they're just as secure as you are. Right, right. And I, that's actually really interesting because I think when when folks have been, at least a lot of clients that we're talking to, they're, they're thinking, you know, cyber, they're thinking... Um, uh, credit card processors, payroll, things like that, maybe if that's applicable. But your last point about marketing companies, I don't think folks have been thinking about that, but that's a that's probably a, a huge one, right? If you're doing any type of marketing to folks that are overseas, that's that's a whole another area to, to worry about. You'd be surprised over the past month how many questions I've gotten about that vendor issue. Hmm. But, you know, I want to go back to something that you said before with regard to credit cards. Obviously, if you're doing e-commerce, you have a customer's credit card information. But even for a strictly in-person retail business, you know, I put my credit card in that chip reader or swipe it, and an invoice or, or a receipt is generated. And you're keeping that receipt. You perhaps don't have the complete information because now credit card receipts don't have the complete number on it. But perhaps that is stored somewhere uh, and you have at least a part of it. And you certainly have my name to go with that. And so now you know the last four numbers. I mean, there's, there's a number of exposures there. Um, that have to be thought through. And, and of course, one of the problems that we have in trying to interpret GDPR is that it is massive in scope, but not always terribly detailed with regard to circumstances. Hmm. I mean, there's, there's certain organizations uh, like in the UK they have the information commissioner's office that has tried to do a good job in putting out information for folks to become compliant but frankly until we have some cases decided right there's some gray areas right right and that's always with the regulations there's just seems to always be a lot of gray and until you start going through some of these things that um, you know, get get litigated, or you have some type of um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, real world example of what really happened. It's, you've got a stake in the ground, right? It's hard to know what what folks are going to look for and what they're going to care about at the end of the day. So, for example, um, on your privacy notice checklist. If you're relying on, on the person's, cons- if you need to rely on the per- person's consent to opt in and it doesn't fall under one of the exemptions, you have to give that person sufficient information to make a choice on giving or withholding their consent. Mm-hmm. 
what's an example of what's sufficient? You know, right, <laughs> you know? Right. one man's floor is another man's ceiling. So um, th- there will be undoubtedly some some litigation. I don't expect that that initially uh, for most companies would be against a U.S. based company unless it's of very significant size. Uh, so we'll all have to watch those cases very carefully. Right. Um, you'll notice that, my gosh, just about any national, uh, uh, international company you do business with, uh, every time you go on their website now, they've or they've proactively sent you their new policies that you have to click on uh, at the top of the page in order to continue to read further. And that's actually those notices... And, and some vendors have also sent out uh, emails to their those that they do business with asking for copies of their the new send us a copy of your pro- privacy policy mm-hmm. and that those things have generated a lot of uh, buzz if you will about oh do I need to become com- you know do I have to learn about this GDPR thing so all of that is uh, generating buzz if you will. Uh, for U.S. companies uh, to become compliant. Right, right. Now, that that makes sense. And I think you're right. I would think that, you know, w- when something does come down, practically speaking, I would I would bet, unless it's some massive, you know, breach in some way or, or noncompliance, probably going to be with some of the larger companies at first because that, that would be where you've got mounds of data and or opportunity to actually get uh, some significant <laughs> significant penalties um, although everybody of course needs to needs to comply to just meet the spirit of what what the thing is and, and what they're supposed to do um, if you so as you think about get back to the kind of the vendor piece so if you think about just maybe some practical things that that you would recommend to your clients when they have these, credit card processors or marketing firms that are marketing to folks in Europe or any vendor that that really they need to be worrying about with this. Um, are there some practical things that you would you would recommend they do um, to help get them comfortable that their vendors are are not going to expose them to problems? The first thing you want to do is to contact those vendors and have them affirmatively demonstrate to you that they are compliant with GDPR. The second part, wearing the lawyer hat now, is any time you enter into a contract with a vendor, you want to make sure that affirmatively stated in the contract is an obligation of that vendor to not only be GDPR compliant, but with all relevant cybersecurity laws of, sure. of any any nationality or state. Right. So there's the attestation uh, from the vendor, and then obviously if you're... And, and you could get that post-contract, right? So you may have already have a contract with somebody. You're not going to go back and renegotiate, but certainly you could you could get that. And then, and then in the contract, you're saying to ensure there's language in there, not just GDPR-wise, but... but all types of data protection and privacy, I think you're saying, correct? Correct. Yep, yep. We're finding that 
I'll be curious as to your thoughts just on the contract piece. We find that a lot of the organizations we work with are not always that, let's say, consistent with how they go about contracting and that there can be multiple folks that are negotiating agreements. And and a lot of times we, we recommend that they establish some contractual standards that everybody can uh, you know, really start following regardless of who has authority to make the contractor. Are you seeing, you know, just as you're talking to your clients, or are you seeing any more of a focus around contracting and, and trying to get more disciplined around that because of some of these issues? Or, or you find kind of like what we do where there's just, it's a little bit all over the place still? I think it depends on the level of sophistication of the client uh, or the companies, as well as the breadth and scope of the contract. Um, we represent or do legal work for a lot of municipalities across the nation, mm. particularly in the wireless area. Okay. And in doing so, uh, we often review their RFPs that are going out for obtaining new wireless systems and then help them negotiate the contract with the successful bidder. And we're seeing a lot more states that either A, have standard language in any procurement requiring that level uh, of affirmative language about requiring cyber compliance or they're taking our recommendation to add it to the contract. Yeah. We also see that with a large, large percentage of the large entities, commercial companies that we represent too, that while just in their, just in their retainer agreements with our office, you know, requiring us, or ensuring that that we are cyber compliant. So I know if it's in their attorney retainer agreements, it's going to be in all their other agreements too. Sure, sure. And those are the the larger ones with some more structure and the and a little bit around the municipalities as well. For for kind of your mid market and smaller clients, uh, I may, maybe a little bit more ad hoc with those guys. That's what we're seeing anyway. Entirely ad hoc. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of all over the place. But, you know, as we're talking to them, it's funny how regulatory compliance will, will drive kind of stepping back and looking at things. I think I'd mentioned we do a lot of work with federal grant recipients. They include municipalities that get money, but a lot of international NGOs, nonprofits. And as they're dealing with some of these new procurement standards, um, some of them deal with contracting as well. And they're actually starting to step back a bit and really think about contracting as more more strategically with more discipline and and really thinking about risk because a lot of this ends up boiling down to risk and risk management I think um, even though there's there's compliance aspects related to it at the end of the day you don't want to be on the front page of the news uh, that you had a data breach rather regardless of whether it's you or or uh, or with one of your vendors so this has been great a lot of really good insights here so I I just think about practically as an organization is going through this process and, and getting going, I know you had said, hey, start, 
you know, you should really start in a couple places, look at your privacy notices on the website, um, how you're managing and handling your mailing lists. Anything else that you advise them to, to kind of be focusing on at least to get, you know, 80% of the way there, if not 100%, because I would think this is probably going to be a process for some folks. It really is start with the privacy notice and get a good working privacy notice up and complied with, obviously, as soon as possible, as well as with regard to um, your mailing list consents. Okay. Concentrate initially in those two areas. And those would be the places to start. Okay. That's great. Great. Good advice. Alan, if people want to reach you to learn more about uh, GDPR, how would they do that? The easy way is email atillis, that's T-I-L-L-E-S, at showmanrogers.com. You can find our website, showmanrogers.com, on the web. Or you can call us here at the office, area code 301-230-5200, and ask for me. And as Alan had said, a lot of this pertains to your vendors and oversight of those relationships and contracts as well. So as you're thinking through this GDPR and how it's going to impact you and how you're going to manage those vendors, uh, type of information you need to get from them, how to address some of the contractual provisions, that's something that we can help with as well. So feel free to reach out to me directly at trogers, T-R-O-G-E-R-S, at vendorcentric.com, or give us a call at 240-813-1170, and we'd be glad to talk. Listen, I appreciate... um, I appreciate you being part of this. I think this thing is going to be, you know, it's got some legs on it. We're not going to, it's not going to be here and gone. I think it's going to be an an evolving process, especially for folks in the U.S. as we're kind of watching what's going on. And I think the the real rubber will hit the road when when somebody gets called out on it, and we'll we'll start to, we'll start to see what happens then. But but listen, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. I appreciate you sharing your insights with us and um and uh, i want to say thanks pleasure's all mine appreciate the opportunity 